when little men cast long shadows. And I believe we're seeing that. Nationally, what disturbs me is not what I see on the news. I want you to be clear. That does not disturb me. What disturbs me is how believers. Now, I'm talking to believers. If you're not a believer, this is not going to apply to you. But what disturbs me is how believers are disturbed by what they see when you should completely understand what you see. Well, we're seeing on all of these three-letter networks, CNN, MSNBC, NBC, Fox, ABC, right? What we are seeing is spiritual deception. The Bible is clear on this point. Unbelievers see the world for what they have right in front of them. Believers, though, see the world for what we see and what we don't see. See, a believer has two-dimensional vision. You get to see people, but the Bible says you should also see principalities and powers and spiritual wickedness in heavenly places. What are some manifestations of this spiritual deception? The first manifestation is people are calling wrong right, and they're calling right wrong. Second manifestation of spiritual deception. People are calling good evil. And they're calling evil good. Third manifestation of spiritual deception. People are calling light darkness. And they're calling darkness light. What are some ways we see that playing out? How about this idea of reparations? We have whole swaths of society saying that they want money from pe- for being something they never were, slaves, from people who never enslaved them. If that's not nonsense, I don't know what is. Or how about this idea of the drug culture? You know, it's interesting. You follow every high police case that is supposed to be about systemic racism. My number one problem with those is, you know what's not mentioned? What they all have in common, despite the age of the shooter, the, the location of where it took place. You know what they all have in common? Drugs. When has drugs become a nationally accepted course in our life? Every last one of these cases had drugs involved. And we're surprised that we're seeing the results of sin. You think about this. Proverbs chapter 7 does not endorse murder. But Proverbs chapter 7 does say that if you commit adultery... And you are murdered by that woman's husband. What did you expect? Therefore, if we do what it says in Proverbs 1. And we get involved in sin. And we die the death of sinners. Why are we upset? We see silence. When children are killed. I can't stand. When the the ominous. The malicious and the crooked are praised as martyrs. Yet, when children are struck by stray bullets, murdered in gang violence, and the world is silent. God hates the hands that shed innocent blood. And it seems like we as a world have grown to love hands that do shed innocent blood. You think about our broken compass morally. 
What in the world do, do NBA players provide the moral compass of our nation? God help us. Or stars that simulate the most raunchy scenes on movies want to comment nationally and internationally about what we should feel as Americans? I'm not trying to be crass, but to basketball players, I, I've got to say, just play basketball, please. To actors, just act, but don't comment on our national compass <clears throat> because I don't need their judgment. How about the clergy? The crisis we're having with clergy, who with the clergy that lack the confidence to talk about what we say are political issues. You know, if I as a pastor am going to talk to you about a subject that I think is no longer applicable, and I'm not going to talk to you about what you're going to face every everyday life, why are we in this relationship? What am I here for? And you take it further... You, people get upset when they don't agree with everything you got to say. Well, you know, my question is this. If both of us agree on everything, then one of us is not necessary. Right? Why am I here? Right? Why are you here? So I don't know why so many clergy just don't have confidence to just speak the truth in love. Right? And you think about fatherlessness. We're, we're talking about the, what kills me about the news is this. People have come to trust the news. I'm not against the news, okay? I, will, I read the news. I don't really watch it because I'm sick of seeing talking heads, but I do read the news. And I would argue the Bible tells you to be aware, right? It, it tells you very clearly to always walk circumspectly. That means you've got to be aware. And the news should inform you to what happened, but the news does not tell you why it happened, nor should they, right? You think about the national discourse. We frame the same three things for the last 60 years. We say, oh, if racism wasn't an issue, we would have a great America. Well, you know what? You take, take that to Africa where the Rwandans killed each other one million people in seven days. And they're all black. Or we blame resources. We say if people had money, if people had more money, they would be happy. And we would not have these issues. That's a lie. And then they blame the last one, Republicans. If the Republicans weren't in office, the world would be a better place. That's garbage. None of those things will change our situation. You know what we're missing? And specifically in African-American communities, we're missing fathers. You know why young black boys can't submit to authorities? Because they never had a father to tell them no. They never had a father to say, hey, son, this is what the Bible says. They don't have a father to be like, stand there and know my pops is going to be up my hindpiece if I don't get it correct. Right? And you know what's interesting? The Bible says that. Malachi chapter 4 says there's coming a time when you're going to be cursed with the curse because fathers don't love their children. And we're seeing the curse. But you're never going to hear that from LeBron James, Steph Curry. You're not going to hear that from your stinking politicians. But you know why? Because we continue to elect politicians to solve the problems they created. What kind of nonsense is that? If you didn't help me the first time, you certainly ain't getting my vote the second time. Because I'm not saying you shouldn't vote. I'm not saying you should vote. But what I am saying, you better be informed about what you're doing and why you're doing it. So what's the answer? Nationally, people will tell you the answer is you need a certain candidate. That's not true. There's no man in the flesh that can solve these problems. Don't get into Messiah worship when you think, oh, if we just elect this new man, the nation will be healed again. 
Bro, there's one that heals. One. So then they'll tell you, you need certain laws. Oh, we just had more laws. We just get this certain law. We make up hate crimes. We make this crime. We make that crime. We find churches for not marrying homosexuals. We do all these things. Oh, the nation will be a better place. That's a lie. The law, biblically, our biblical law is a schoolmaster that shows us how rotten we are. We don't need more laws. And then they say, well, you need a certain revolution. You know, they have this, the, the democratic socialist revolution that in some way we just got rid of millionaires. We got rid of billionaires. We got rid of money, and the government just ran everything. What a horrible idea. All of a sudden, the nation would be a better place. That's a lie. What I, I hope this helps you realize is this. Man cannot do what needs to be done. This thing that we need is not in you. You know, this is the problem with our nation. We are too much in the superhero culture. And, you know, that's how the Antichrist is going to take power. He's going to convince everybody he can solve the problem. But man cannot do what needs to be done. There are whole swaths of this society right now as I speak that are beyond our reach. They're beyond any love that we can offer. They're beyond any reach that we can attempt to put out. And they're beyond our touch to be changed. This is not even possible. Nevertheless, there is hope. Because though man cannot do what needs to be done, Christ has done what man cannot do. Let's turn to Matthew 8, 1 through 4. And I think I, I see a really good illustration in this text. Matthew 8, 1 through 4 says... When he was come down from the mountain, this is speaking of Jesus, great multitudes followed him. And behold, there came a leper and worshipped him, saying, Lord, if thou wilt, thou canst make me clean. And Jesus put forth his hand and touched him, saying, I will be thou clean. And immediately his leprosy was cleansed. And Jesus saith unto him, See thou tell no man, but go thy way. Show thyself to the priests and offer the gift that Moses commanded for a testimony unto them. You know, what we need to realize, first and foremost, is the figure of this text is Christ. Christ, first and foremost, is the answer to every problem we face. In the Christian life, there is no, oh, I, politically I do this, but spiritually I do this. No. The whole of the Christian life is sanctified by Christ. Your work life is sanctified by Christ. Your family life is sanctified by Christ. See, Christ must have the preeminence in all things, and I would argue he is the answer to every problem that we face. For instance, he's the answer to the problems we face as a society. That's the first level. I'm speaking of that because I believe that's on everybody's mind. If you're at all paying attention, some might not be. He's also the problems in our relationships. Because we as, we as people exist in society, you must travel, you must interact in this world. Jesus said, I'm not pulling you out of the world. You're going to be in the world, but not of the world. <clears throat> but we also exist in these relationships. In family, in church, work. So Jesus is the pro answer to the problems we have in our relationships. 
And then lastly, Jesus is the problems we have in ourselves. I love the way Adrian Rogers put it. Adrian came to the podium one day. He says, today I am going to name the name of the person in this building who gives me this most trouble. Every day this person harasses me. Every day this person bothers me. Every day this person gets on my last nerve. And that person is me. And isn't that the truth? The Bible says that though our body has been buried with Christ, the flesh still exists, though it doesn't have the dominance, to war against the spirit. And this is a battle we must all face. We all get to the point where we say we're going to do a certain thing, and guess what? We don't do it, right? Or we say we're not going to do a certain thing, and the next thing you know, we're doing exactly what we said we're not going to do. Christ is the answer to all those things. He's especially the answer to the issues we face personally. Christ is the answer because he loves the unlovable. He reaches the unreachable. And Christ is the answer because he touches the untouchable. Let's look back at our text. Christ has loved and loves the unlovable. John 3, 16, Romans 5, 6 through 8, and then Matthew right here, 8, 1 through 4. Right here we see the leper and the love of God. Why do we say that? You consider this leper. A lot of times because of our historical ignorance, our lack of death, we forget what life for a leper was like. If you're a leper, you're an outcast from society. You only hung out with lepers. You couldn't see your mother, your father. You couldn't see your children, if you had any. You couldn't go anywhere for fear of being stoned. People would throw rocks at you or killed because they didn't want you to spread the disease. And so you could say this leper was not loved. He was unloved by man. Were there people in his life who loved him? I'm sure. But could you feel that love as a leper? Not really. Even if someone were to attempt to visit you in a leper colony, it would be from a distance. It would never be in person. It would never be close. And then leprosy got rid of your ability to feel at certain parts of your body. So this leper was unloved by man. But you know what? Even though man grew to no longer love him, this leper was loved by God. You know what always fascinates me about this text is He had to hear about Jesus. You ever wonder how did the leper hear about Jesus? Right? Because we know the word spread. That's what the Bible says. Every time Jesus did something, the word spread. It went further and further. But you know what's interesting is I don't think the leper would have ever saw something. He had to hear it. And let's imagine you're this leper and you hear people talking. And they're, they're talking excitedly. They're, you can hear in their voice they're just hope they've never heard before. And you're listening and you just keep hearing Jesus, 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 Son of God, Messiah. He's come. He did this and he did that. And then you're like, who did he do it for? He said, he healed the lame. The blind, he took it away. And the deaf, he caused them to hear. You know what I think that leper had to come to at some point in time in his own mind? If God loves them to do that, Does God love me to do it for me? Right? Because you ever wonder, Jesus said himself, there were a lot of lepers who were never healed. 
What was the deciding factor? We know God's grace is in all things, but Jesus said, you have to believe. So this leper had to come to the point where he accepted that God loved him. He didn't look at his circumstances and say, if God loves me, why am I this leper? Why do I have this disease if God loves me? If God loves me, why is my family not here? If God loves me, why am I in that situation? No, he had to come to the point where he said to himself, he was loved by God, even though he couldn't tell. Outwardly looking, you know where people typically struggle with the love of God? Their physical circumstances. Because we're physical beings. So this leper, come to the knowledge of the love of God. And you know what? As a society, we have to realize that, you know what? The problems we're seeing is, deals with the love of God and the lepers of our life. There are people in our life that, let's be honest, you, you probably don't want to touch. I've yet to see anybody street preach at a Black Lives Matter movement. Probably not going to happen. Maybe it will happen, but I can see why. Who wants to get hit with a bottle? Who wants to get hit with a rock? Who wants to get stomped to death? Hey, so I'm not saying you should do this, and you know, that's between you and God, but my argument is this. There are people who are, no, who are not loved because of the way they, what they do. Romans 5 and 6 Five verses six and eight clarify this. It says, brothers, remember, God loved you when you were a sinner, when you were rotten, when you were ungodly. He says we would never die for even a good man. And God died for horrible men. So my argument is these people we see, I would argue they're not loved. But you know what's interesting? You look at every one of those looters. You look at all these liars we see every day. What are you talking about liars? Well, you know, they say, how do you know if a politician's lying? His mouth is moving, right? <laughs> you know, I want to challenge you, though. God loves them. He loves those looters. He loves those liars. He loves all those politicians. And God, the Bible says, died for them. We wouldn't die for them, and I'm not saying you need to. I'm simply saying that God loves them, and don't you forget it. Because it is God's love that will change them. It won't be your love. Let's take it home. What about our relationships? You think about the love of God and the lepers of our life. There are people in our life that sometimes we just don't get. Right? There are people in our life who no matter what, they always seem to be doing the wrong thing. Even when it hurts those they love. They're lawless, in a sense. And not only that, they're lost. We all have people that way. That we just, no matter what we say, no matter how much we love them, they seem to just get worse. You know what the Bible says? The Bible says, you know what? God loves them too. And you know what? You should not feel bad that your love won't change them, but the love of God can change them. See, too often we want to be the answer. We want to have the Jesus complex where I just come along. Hey, isn't my love good enough? You know what I realized in the life of my wife to be an encouragement to her? It, it's not. <laughs> it's, I know I'm not enough. I'm not. My kids, I'm not enough for my kids, right? My church, I'm certainly 100% sure I am not enough. But I don't need to be. My Marriage got better when I realized I'm not the answer for my wife. God is. My fathering became better when I realized I don't want my kids to see me. I want them to see Jesus. My church grew when I realized, you know what? 
God needs to help them. I can't help them. And I tell them all the time, something happened in the middle of the night, don't call me. Not because I don't want to get woken up. You better pray. Pray to Jesus. You better call on the Lord, man. I can't show up and do nothing about that. I can't take away cancer. I can't heal your sickness. I can't make the voices stop. But Jesus can. We got to realize that. And then lastly, we come to ourselves, The main leper of our life. Why? We all have limitations. Do we not? How often do we discover that in our growth as a believer, that God takes us to the place where we've not grown? He takes us to the stronghold of our past. He takes us to the place where we struggle the most, right? I'll start off myself. A few years ago, I realized that, you know what? I was depressed. I just struggled with depression. Like, I look back at the last 10 years of my life, and I rejoice because God let me get victory. But I also look back, and I was like, man, how much did this paint my whole world? And you know what? That was a struggle for me to break out of that. And it was, it was real. Because you know what? There are times I wanted to be happy. I just couldn't. There are times I, everything was okay. But you know what? It just hung over me like a cloud. And I struggled with this limitation. And I always joke, you know. I'm so glad the kids are forgiving because I look at my years of raising Tyler and Tyler's like my guy. Like Tyler's like anything I want to do, Tyler will do. And I'm so happy because, man, I was not like I look back at the way I raised him and I'm like, oh, my goodness. If he hated me for the rest of his life, I could not blame him. But you know what? God overcame my limitations. The places where I struggled, where I could not get victory, where I did the same thing over and over again. God brought me through that because he brought me to the point to realize, you know, there are some things he's not going to let me have the victory by myself. You see, the number one problem I see with Christians in victory is what this leper had to come to. The leper had to realize he's never going to be healed by himself. He had to find someone to heal him. And it's the same with the Christian life. Too often Christians don't get victory because they want victory by themselves. But Jesus said the victory is in the body. The victory is in other believers. And only so we do what it says in James 5.16, we confess our sins one to another, will we be healed. I'll never forget, there was another man in my church struggling with depression. And the day I came out and said, I've been struggling with this, will you pray for me? Me and him have been neck and neck. I can't even recognize the guy anymore. And his wife called me one day, she's like, she said, honey, I don't know what you've been doing, but my baby up here reading Joshua, walking around the room preaching to himself. Thank you, Pastor. You know what that came from? Confessing my sins one to another. That's what it came from. So the lepers of our life. Jesus loves the unlovable. Even when we don't love our world. Even when we don't love those people in our relationships because we all get to that point. And even when we don't love ourselves, God still loves you. Critical to realize. And then we see right here, Jesus did not only love the unlovable, but Jesus reached the unreachable. Think about the reach of God and the recesses in between us. What do I mean by that? You look at the life of this leper. He was in a leper colony. He was not allowed to to walk in common society. Did you ever wonder yourself, how did he find Jesus? Because I don't know if you know this, but dude can pull out his iPhone, shoot a text to Peter and be like, hey, we're all preaching today. He couldn't do that. Right. There were no billboards. There was no Internet service. 
when he heard this miracle that this, there's God sent his son and all that he's doing, he had to get up and find him. And you think about the step of faith that took. He had to get from where he was to where Jesus was at. And he didn't even know where it was. And you know what? He had to get around crowds because he couldn't hang around people. He could hit in the head with a rock. So first he had to navigate the cities. I mean, you know how awkward that could have been going to cities and like, hey! Yeah, you back there. Hey, you seen Jesus, man? You, you know, and he's like, nah, he ain't been here. Who is he? I mean, that had to be frustrating. But he had to decide by faith that God was calling him. And he had to persevere in the faith to continue on that journey. And what do we see in Matthew 8, 2? He came to the point after all the hours of traveling by foot. He didn't have a train. He didn't have a plane. He didn't have Uber. He didn't have Lyft. He didn't have ride share. He didn't have those nifty scooters in downtown. No, he had them sandals on his feet if he had a pair. And guess what? Matthew 8, 2, he came to the place where he found what he had been looking for. How often we want to quit because we don't like the effort God is making us put into things. You can't be this hard. You ain't reading the Bible. You want the highlight reel, right? But nobody wants to work in between. Yes, it is that hard. And yes, there is effort. Just because it's by grace does not mean it lacks effort. Grace is free, but it ain't cheap. So you think about how he had to cross that chasm between this. This is between him and Christ, because Jesus never went to a leper colony. He let the lepers come to him. You imagine that he could have healed every leper in that colony. Why? Because he waited for the lepers to come to him, because I was thinking he was waiting for the leper with faith, the faith to find him. What about society? In society, we see that there are people that the reach of God and we see the recesses of life. You know, there are people that concern us. There are concerns beyond us. Am I not concerned for what I see in the black community in America? I'm very concerned. I want to build families. You know what's interesting in the town that I live in? We have family singular in our Hispanic and our white communities. But you know what we don't have in our black communities? Family. It is rare for my black students when I was a teacher to have dads. It is rare even now for their mothers to be raising them. Typically, it's going to be their grandparents. So I come to Chicago and every different place in North Carolina, I see family. And I'm like riveted by this. I'm like, that's so beautiful. The church is supposed to be a place of young families, right? You know what I don't see in my own community? Young families. Six and a half years as pastor, you know what? I'm still the only young family in the church and we've grown from 10 to 40 something people right because we see this issue that i can't i don't know what to do about i mean the first thing i'm gonna do is be a good father myself and be a good husband myself i can do that but i look at all these people who are being led astray by the devil who are dancing with the devil on national news and i can't do anything about it but you know what? Just beyond, because they're beyond my power, they're not beyond God's power. And there are people, let's think about our relationships, who you have the recesses of God or the reach of God and the recesses in our life, right? How many people are in a relationship with somebody 
whether they're spouse, significant other, brother, sister, niece, nephew, son, daughter, friend, best friend, associate, church member, where you could clearly see, like, yeah, you got a problem, right? And you're like, dude, if you would just get over this problem, you'd be okay. But you know what you should realize? You really don't have what they need. That, like, that concerns you. I have church members I love dearly and I'm concerned about. But you know what? There's very little I can do. You know? You, you know and it, it's baffling at times, is it not? How you can speak plain English <laughs> to somebody or Spanish to somebody. And you're like, bro, I just told you that. And they don't get it. Right? Like you talk, it was like it's like you speak in Japanese or Mandarin or something, and just nothing is clicking right here. It's like, all right, you're not getting this right now, right? You know that that's what happens with our reach. Our reach is limited. We think because we're physically, emotionally close to somebody that spiritually we have this ability to go ahead and touch people. You don't. It's not the way it works. I laugh because a young man told me yesterday, "Man, you just say the right thing and everything changes." Ha! <laughs> No, it doesn't work that way. It's the right thing by the Spirit of God that changes stuff. Too often we let our flesh do the speaking and not our spirit. And you think about yourself. You think about the recess of your life. You think about your conscience. How often your conscience beats on you. Because you know you're doing things you shouldn't do. You know you shouldn't feel the way you feel. And you know your conduct is not fitting of a child of God. Right now I'm going through a discipleship course with some other pastors in my town with another pastor who's more experienced in that type of thing. And my, my application from two weeks ago was abide in Jesus. It's funny because Jesus said abide in me in John 15. And 1 John chapter 2, verse 10 actually d- uh, defines what it is to abide in Jesus. And I realized, okay, I'm going to just do what Jesus did, which is like the easiest, hardest thing ever, right? Because it's easy because like it's pretty clear what Jesus did, but it's hard because it's like that's not what we would do. And I'll never forget it. My son walked into the kitchen. I was in the middle of something. And then he asked for something. I just sent him away. No reason. I was just in the middle. And I'll never forget the spirit of God saying, is that what I would do? And I'm like, oh. And I called him back. I said, Tyler, hey, man. Hey, I'm sorry. I'm being a little. I'm, I'm, I'm not being patient. Well, yeah, you can come in and do what you're supposed to do. But I'll never forget the difference between my spirit and the spirit of God. See, our spirit condemns us. But the Spirit of God often just asks us that question. How many times, Spirit of God, I'll never forget, one night I said something stupid to my wife before I went to bed. I woke up the next morning, Spirit of God right there, is that what I would have said? I was like, ooh. I went to the store, I got some flowers, I came back, I said, she's like, what's this for? I said, I did not respond to you last night the way that Jesus would, and I'm sorry. And I gave her the flowers. But you ask that that question to yourself, is this what the Spirit of God would do? And you'll discover that those things that you can't fix in yourself, the Spirit of God will begin to fix. So we see the reach of God. And lastly, my beloved, my friends, we see right here that Jesus not only loves the unlovable, he reaches the unreachable, but he also touches the untouchable. You consider this leper. The leper was deformed by a disease, but he's delivered by God. It's funny because in the Old Testament, the Bible says you you shouldn't touch a leper because if you touch them, you know what? You're going to become like them. And it's funny because the Proverbs seem to clarify that there are people like that. 
The Bible says don't go around an angry person because, you know, you'll get a snare and you'll be just like them. The Bible says don't argue with a fool because you'll look like a fool. And so literally this leper was in this position to where he had no one that could touch him. But you know what he discovered? Is that although he was deformed by this disease, he was delivered by God. Because what happened with this deliverance? He goes to Jesus. Jesus says, I will have you to be clean. And he reaches out and he touches him. And I wish I could see how it all happened. Because I'm sure some other people are like doing what other people do. Like, no, Jesus, stop. And then next thing you know, this guy is different in the blink of an eye. See, that's what the touch of God does, does it not? The guy didn't get healed gradually. He didn't like, you know, a little leprosy later, a little leprosy now. Jesus didn't say, go home, put some Epsom salt on it, take a bath, bro. He didn't say that. No, it was done. You think about our society and the touch of God and the terrors of our life. You know, there are people and situations in our society that are beyond our ability. They're not beyond God's ability. Recently, there was a testimony I really enjoyed. If you ever, there's a movie I'd encourage you to watch. You guys watch it as a church here, uh, American Gospel. But watch that movie if you have it, American Gospel. There's a preacher in there named Todd White, who flat out is just not biblical. He's just not. And what's interesting is somehow God delivers to his hand a sermon by Ray Comfort. Not only did the sermon pierce his heart, cause him to cry, he had enough of a spiritual conviction to stand in front of his church and live stream that he has not been preaching the gospel. Wow. You see, I could have told him that. It wouldn't have gone anywhere. Right? I could have sent him an email by, hey, bro, do you know how heretical you are? Right? You'd be like, hey, bro, you know hell is real? Like, I, 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 that wouldn't have worked, would it? But you know what? God did something for him. You see, there are some people we can't touch. This is beyond our touch. I, you know, uh, one of the things I do, my school kids used to laugh at me because I would sit at my desk. And sometimes I'd talk to myself. I'd be sitting up there like, and my kids would be like, Mr. Fonda, what are you doing? I'd be like, I was like, bro, genius is talking to himself. I'm talking to myself. You should try it. And so sometimes I'd be driving in my car and lecturing these superstars. Like, man. In my car, people are sure wondering, what is he doing? And I'd be lecturing people that I'm never going to talk to, right? Just in case I run into them one day, right? I wish the just in case worked that way. You know, it's funny. We think it's not possible, but I had a, a pastor friend, Bill Barons, who always in the just in case is at an airport in the middle of the night, and all of a sudden this jet lands. And this the thing goes, the, uh, the ladder goes down, and all of a sudden an entourage gets out. And he's like, What's this? And he gets out a gospel check. He's like, whatever it is, I'm being a part of this. And he walks out onto the concourse, and all of a sudden, the lead singer of the Rolling Stones is coming out of it. And he, he the guy's walking his way, and he jumps in front of him, like, boom, gospel track in hand. And the lead singer walks up to him, and like, he hands it to him. And he says, where do you want me to sign? And Bill said, I don't want you to sign anything. It's a gospel track. And immediately, the lead seeker dropped it and said, I don't want anything to do with your blind God. Wow. Right? See, what does that illustrate? That's our inability. Right? We can't touch his heart. We can't change his heart. That's God's job. 
Right? Do we not cast a seed? Yes, you cast a seed. Right? Do you pray? Pray. Should you fast? Fast. I, I'm, I'm really disturbed by the number of Christians who don't fast. I mean, think about this. There are three things in the New Testament Jesus promises without exception that if you do them, God will reward you. Amen. Only three. Giving, Amen. praying, and fasting. Wow. And people all talk to, everybody want to pray, right? But sometimes you get tight wads like, Jesus can't have my wallet. Or on the other end of the spectrum, you people want to pray and give, but they're like, Jesus can't have my plate. Nonsense. Jesus is very clear that at many times what we need as a nation is to fast. You think about Nineveh. Nineveh was a pagan nation. And they fasted and God heard their fast. So we can pray. We can fast. We can give to people who can do something about these things. So you think about our society. That's what we're dealing with. You think about our relationships, the reach of God and recesses in our life. That there are cares or you, there, there are these things in our life that we have differences between the people before us. Right. One of the most interesting misconceptions about ministry is the way people work. I'll never forget people in my town are like, oh, you're black. You should be able to connect with black people. Oh, wow. That's interesting. That's an interesting assumption. That's like saying Mexicans all connect with Mexicans and Hispanics with Hispanics and Puerto Ricans with Puerto Ricans. And, you know, or God forbid you had the real big faux pas. You caught a Puerto Rican and Mexican or a Mexican and Puerto Rican. You might get hit. I mean, it's not that simple. There are differences between people. And this is most magnified in our relationships. Right? Biggest relationship in my life, obviously, where this is magnified is me and my wife. My wife are on two different worlds. In the past, I would always think, oh, man, if I just if I just give Fran this book, if I just give her this book, you know, she'll get the idea. Maybe if I diagram it, I'll just diagram it on the board. Maybe she'll get it then. Oh, this conference will fix my wife. That'll do it. No. No. And it's the same for me. There are things that, you know what, God had to show me. Right? So there are differences in our life that are not a disadvantage to God. You want people to touch the people, you want God to touch the people in your life, you better start praying and fasting. And maybe sometimes when you shut up, God might speak. One of the greatest ways to sometimes not get in the way of God is for you to do the work. I've discovered that, you know what, when I don't lecture my wife, I don't lecture my kids, and I don't even lecture my church members, that God often does the work. You know, it's a policy in my church. I love expository preaching, and I preach the text. I don't be like, yeah, you know what? I sat down with Dee this week. I know she messing around with homeboy. I'm going to squeeze that in there somewhere. It's fornication. We're going to talk about that. No, 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 no. If it doesn't fit, it doesn't fit the text. It just doesn't. I'm not going to single shot. Like, oh, I know what you're doing. I got you. Wait till Sunday. Yeah, buddy. No. No, sir. No, ma'am. It's the same my wife. It's the same myself. For years, my wife struggled with being on time at church. You know what I discovered? If I just shut up, maybe she fix it. God will take care of it. And I do. For years, I struggled with emotional stability. And you know when it started getting better? When she stepped out of the way and God could step in. Right? Who likes it when you wake up to a grizzly bear like myself? And he gets up. He's all crotchety. 
you know, you don't have no idea why he's having such a bad day. I mean, the day just started, by the way. And, dude, you're just not happy. Doesn't the Bible say the joy of the Lord is your strength? How about a little bit of that, right? Well, you know what? That became easier for me when she prayed and she fasted and she stepped out of the way. And it's the same thing with the relationships of our life. When we pray, when we fast, when we step out of the way, you'll discover that a lot of times through your silence and compassion and mercy, God will do more in his spirit than he could ever do in your flesh. And then it comes that to ourself, the truth of God, the touch of God, and our own life. There are things in our life that are obstacles, right? There are things in our life that we say, you know what, I've always been this way. I can't do anything about this. This is the way I am. Don't you understand that? Like, this is who I am. I can't change my spots. Well, guess what? That's not true of God. You know what? The greatest testimony God can have in your life is the testimony he had in the life of the apostles. Acts chapter 4, the apostles are standing before the Sanhedrin, and the Sanhedrin is looking at them. And it's interesting because they're looking at these guys and like they're not dressed like scholars, right? They're wearing like fishermen's garb. They had a tan. They had muscles. They're kind of like obviously a rough and tumble group. They're not your typical theologians. And it's funny because they look at them and the word they use to describe the, 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 the apostles is idiotas, where we get our word idiot. They're like, these guys are idiots because they weren't educationally trained. They'd never been to theology school. But when they preached in the temple, when they preached, people fell to their knees. When their voices cried out, people began to tremble and conviction hit home. And you know what? All of a sudden they realized why. They look at the apostles, John and Peter, and they said to themselves, they had been with Jesus. Amen. <laughs> And that should be our testimony. Are you still you? I want you to know God wants to change you, right? Do you have these things that you're naturally that way? God is looking to change that. Am I arguing God's getting rid of your natural gifts and ability? No, he's sanctifying your natural gifts and ability, right? That's what God is looking to do. It's to sanctify those things. Because when they sanctify them, people start seeing Jesus and they stop seeing you. So how do you know when this is happening? It became clear to me that my biggest problem with ministry earlier on in my first couple years as pastor is I wanted to relate to people in my flesh. So I talked to young black men and that didn't get anywhere. I talked to people my age and that didn't get anywhere. And then when I came to the realization that, you know what, I need to be like Jesus and I want Jesus to minister through me, you know what happened? People that weren't like me started coming along. My discipleship group, I lead a discipleship group Sundays at the church. My discipleship group, I'm the youngest. Everybody's 60 and above. We have African Americans. We have Caucasians. We have married, single, and all in between. What was happening? See, what was happening is God was ministering through the Spirit. See, because when you are ministering through the Spirit, you begin to touch people that are not like you. You begin to pull people that are not like you. Because you are all becoming like Jesus. So our obstacles are not of issue. Our obstacles are God's opportunities. So we lead here today as we 
come to the conclusion is this. The answer is Christ. Christ loves the unlovable. You think about those that we're watching. Christ loves them. Christ reaches the unreachable. Are there places you'll never go, people you'll never see? Yes. Does your heart yearn for them? Yes. Is is it in your ability to reach them? No. But it's in God's ability to reach them. And Christ touches the untouchable. There are people in your life, if you're wise, you're probably going to want to take a step back and let God do his work. Right? Because when God does his work, things happen. When we want to be God, things don't happen. And God is not going to let it happen because he's not going to let your flesh get the glory. He wants the glory. So there are people you can't touch. There are people you're not going to be able to do anything for. There are people that you you know what? Nothing you can do is enough because you're not enough. But Christ is enough. He can touch the untouchable. He can break the stony heart. He can change a heart of stone into a heart of flesh. He can change a leprous spot. He is enough. So I challenge you, brothers and sisters, realize Christ is the answer. Let's bow our heads. Let's close our eyes.